Hi, you're listening to Becoming Whole podcast with Claire Bradshaw, where I explore with my guests what it means to lean into living a life of wholeness and connectedness, a life where all parts of ourselves, our body, mind and spirit come into alignment, where we're truly living into our own personal values. So if you're a seeker, a feeler or someone wanting more from your precious life, then tune in every fortnight and let's get inspired together. Hello and welcome to episode number 21 of Becoming Whole podcast and today I have a beautiful conversation with Gina Kenny. She is the owner and also the head teacher at Ohana Studio in Melbourne and um, she's taught yoga for more than a decade. She's also author of the top-selling Gift of Yoga book and DVD and she studied um, under the greats like Donna Fahey. And she starts her um, bio on her website with saying, slowing down is the precursor to yoga practice because this simple act allows us to consider our thoughts, feelings, and actions more carefully in the light of our desire to live peacefully. And that's a quote from Donna Fahey from her book, Bringing Yoga to Life. Gina discovered yoga through an injury in her previous career as, can you believe it, she was a firefighter. Yoga helped her to not only overcome her physical injury, but also helped her to gain skills to make life changes and move forward on her true path. She believes that life is a true place of practice, that what you learn about yourself in the yoga room plays out in your everyday life. And when we learn to focus our movements, when we discover the more subtle sensations of the physical body, we also open up the doorway to the more subtle sensations of the mind and the emotional body. I met Gina a couple of weeks ago um, at a workshop that she was holding in Melbourne. It was a two-day workshop um, called The um, Embodied Self. And um, it was an incredible workshop. Um, what I really loved particularly was not only, you know, the experiential side of things, of really um, exploring the practice in our own individual bodies and learning some of the theory, but also the energy that Gina brings to her work. You know, uh, it really shines through that she is a woman that really has embodied these practices and continues to do so on a daily basis. Um, She really is true magic to be around. So um, without further ado, let's get to the um, episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Hi, Gina. Thanks so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. It's nice to see you, Claire. Yeah, awesome. So let's um, have a little chat about um, Ohana. So Ohana being your yoga studio in Melbourne um, with a restorative um, focus to it. I know you do other classes here. Um, And um, tell me, how did you come to open a studio that has this restorative focus? And, you know, what's been your journey to restorative yoga? Thank you. That's a very good question. Most studios don't open with a restorative focus in mind. And my journey takes you back 20 years. 20 years ago, I joined the Melbourne Fire Brigade, and I worked as a firefighter. So I worked in the MFB. I was based in the city. I also worked out in the western suburbs of Newport and Footscray and Sunshine. And I had an amazing career as a firefighter. It was a tough job, and particularly being a woman in a man's world and putting out fires and going to car accidents and 
saving cats and dogs and all of those things that you associate firefighting with. We did all that. In amongst that, however, being a woman and pushing myself to do what the men can do, which in doing that, I continually injured myself. Mm. I had an idea that I had to prove I could do the job. So if I'm struggling with a ladder and someone asks, for, asks if I need some help, of course, no, I don't need help. <laughs> but meanwhile, I was really struggling. And so whilst I was very strong and very fit and um, enjoyed my job, I also put a lot of demands on myself on all levels, on physically, emotionally, and mentally. And after a number of years, I had a particular injury that took me out of my career. So I had a 15-year-long career that ended suddenly. And um, one night when we went out to a ambulance assist to lift a very heavy patient in cardiac arrest, I tore a disc in my spine. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was the end of my 15-year career. And thank goodness I had 15 years of a yoga practice within me. So I was able to manage the, the emotional and the mental side of having a career one day and not having a career the next day. Mm, wow, that's that's huge. Yeah. yeah, it was huge. Yeah, And I was really blessed that I had practices I could rely on to help me transition and from an unexpected um, complete change in my life. So I was injured. I had a torn disc at L5-S1. I, I couldn't paddle. I couldn't do my job as a firefighter. I couldn't do my traditional style of yoga practice that I had been doing for many years, and I could really even hardly socialize. It hurt to sit. It hurt to, to spend time in a seat. So it makes it very hard even to dine. Yeah, whoa. Yeah. So huge change of life from being so active, like in work and out of work, to then being in a situation where you're, you know, you're dealing with a lot of pain, your career, you can't do it anymore. So sort of what then happens after that? Well, being the optimist that I am, I thought about, well, what would help me at this point in time? Uh, there was very little I could do. Um, I'd had restorative yoga in the background of my mind for a long time, and I decided to pursue studying restorative yoga, and I did that with Donna Farhi. All right. And Donna Farhi is a phenomenal teacher, and I've learned so much from her and her practices, and in studying with Donna, I was applying these methods to myself. And I, st I was still in the loop, though, of chronic pain. Mm -hmm. So I was learning new methods of restorative yoga and even the Feldenkrais method. And I was still dealing with chronic pain. And one day I realized I was setting myself targets when I can paddle for four kilometers rather than 24. Seemed reasonable. Mm -hmm when I could lift 10 kilograms instead of 80 kilograms. Again, seems very reasonable. When I can cycle for 5 kilometers instead of 60 kilometers. So my logical mind said this is all very reasonable for someone who's been injured. Mm. But what I wasn't understanding was I was staying in the same mindset of push, of strive, of do, of achieving. And my story was, well, when I can do this, I'll be better. Yeah. And it dawned on me one day, I'm still in the same mindset. How mm. am I going to heal? 
Yeah, right. So I stopped it all. I didn't think about paddling. I didn't think about running or cycling or gym training. I just stayed with my practices, the restorative yoga style of practices, the Feldenkrais method. And the other things went so far into my the background of what I was doing that and I think they needed to so that I could just be. Yep. So I, I didn't think about those things. And probably 12 months, if not 18 months, went mm-hmm. by of not planning, doing, setting targets, none of that. And one day, it just dawned on me, I don't think I have any pain. Wow. And then I realized... That chronic pain that had been now at this point in time, a three and a half year journey, it was gone. And today I race outrigger canoes, I'm heading to Hawaii in seven weeks for a 30 kilometer race. I live without pain. And really I can do anything. Amazing, amazing. So I've got two questions there for you. One, what was it, or can you remember back to what was the thing that brought you to that mindset shift? Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. Um, when I think a lot of people deal with this, I know for me, mm. I, I'll hear a message, but I don't really listen to it, particularly if I don't want to hear it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And this Chinese medicine doctor that I'd been seeing for acupuncture, he, he didn't speak a lot of English. He would just, I would arrive and he would say, lie down. Then he'd put some needles in and then he'd come over and say, roll over. And then he'd send me home. Mm. But one day he said, you silly, you silly. You just don't listen to me. You, you do too much. If you would just rest, you would be better. I can't help you if you keep being so busy. Wow. But I didn't listen because I was like, oh, you know, what does he know? Yeah. <laughs> and so that was there. It was a seed. Mm-hmm. And I think it was after a very short bike ride that prompted my chronic pain to come back once again, Mm. Uh, well, a flare-up, I should say, because it was always there, but a flare-up occurred. And I was very emotional and felt like this is just relentless. I actually could not imagine a life that didn't involve pain. So in my in my world, it was so full of pain, and pain affects every part of your life. It affects your Mm. relationships, it affects your livelihood, your, your state of mind, your emotional body, it affects, affects everything. Yeah. Um, and I really couldn't see a life without pain. Mm. And I couldn't see a life that involved paddling, doing my sport of outrigger canoeing again, um, and all the other physical things that go along with that. Um, so in a state of emotion over a, a flare up, it dawned on me. It just was like a moment, a light bulb moment, I guess mm. you could say. Yep. The light went on, and I realized what I've been doing is the same thing I'd been doing all my life, which was push and strive and and keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I do have a strong will, so it's very hard to tell someone with a strong will to let that go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I needed to to heal. I needed to have a different uh, communication with my nervous system. And with my mind, emotional body. And in doing that, I gave myself a chance to heal. Mm-hmm. So did you, what, what steps did you then take to help slow everything down? <laughs> well, I was already doing the restorative practices and the Feldenkrais method 
practices and the meditations. Mm. So I was very well informed of the practices and how they helped me. So it was, it was as, as simple as it sounds. I just let the rest go. Mm, right. And so, stayed present mm. to the practices. Great. And I didn't add anything else into my schedule. Mm. I stayed with absorbing the practices rather than doing the practice and creating a state of being that's very calm, but then going back into the mm-hmm. way I knew, which was the push and strive, and it wasn't calm. Yeah. So I was having reprieves from that state, but I wasn't changing my state. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes, that makes perfect sense. I had something similar as well, whereby I just made a commitment to immersing myself in my own personal yoga practice Mm -hmm. and when I had done my yoga teacher training I was really tight I was like really stiff and I did ashtanga and um, you know really really strong practice and um, I decided because so many had shifts had happened on that training I was so intrigued by what this practice was the philosophy and also the changes and shifts that I seen within my own body that I dedicated myself I said, one year, I'm going to hit the mat every day for an hour and a half, and I'm going to experience this practice from the inside out, personally, just absorb it and embody it, essentially. And then from making that decision, I was still working, but I had prioritized this. This was like the thing that I was focusing my attention, my energy on, and I made the space and the commitment, the dedication Mm -hmm. to it through that everything changed yeah it's so amazing isn't it yeah the hawaiians actually have a saying that energy flows where attention goes Mm. so for me i found that that's very um potent in my life where i place my energy the or place my attention the energy definitely flows yeah and same for you it sounds like you put your attention on i'm going to Mm. do these practices yeah and then you receive the benefits totally totally and it's you know that difference between kind of trying to fill your calendar all of the time trying to do all of the things running from place to place thing to thing and then when we don't create that space that's when we can kind of you know our nervous system is completely overloaded and then we're tired and wired and all of those things yeah um yeah well what a lot of people don't realize is that your body can only self-regulate and self-heal when you're in the calm side of your central nervous system. Mm. And if you're not allowing yourself enough time to be in the calm side of your central nervous system, which is the parasympathetic side of the nervous system, your body cannot self-heal or self-regulate. And this is what keeps people in a cycle of their chronic pain or their chronic illness, particularly if they get in the trap of the, the medical world and giving their power over to people that are professionals and, and instead of knowing and owning their own power. Mm. So we all have the ability to self-regulate and self-heal. We often just need tools or knowledge or someone to share that with us because it's not something that's spoken of in our modern world, our modern culture, Western culture. So having enough time in the calm side of the nervous system gives the nervous system a new pathway And in that pathway, you're guided into the place within where you can heal. 
yeah, I completely um, know what you're talking about from having that kind of felt experience. So can you talk a little bit more to, um, you know, what restorative yoga is and how it can really help you, um, you know, move from maybe a fight or flight sympathetic nervous system into the parasympathetic? Yeah, for sure. So restorative yoga uh, is different to yin yoga. Um, this is a question that comes up all the time. Well, is this like yin? Mm. Is yin like restore? And people will even write in their articles, yin and restore are kind of same, same. But they're not. Um, the difference is that restorative yoga is asking you to release deep tension within your body and your nervous system, which of course also is your mind, through practices of awareness, really acute measured awareness of what the body is feeling, sensing, and doing. So you can understand where you're holding tightness. Mm. Most people don't know that they're holding tightness until they start to enter into these practices. And then all this information is coming into their brains and they're like, oh my God, I've been holding tension chronically here or here or wherever it is. And that information wasn't known. And this is the amazing thing is that our brains are so clever. When we've had a, a trauma, whatever that is, physical, mental, or emotional, the brain will rewire so you have less pain. But then the, the, the interesting thing is, is then you're left with, without the wiring going to where it needs to. Mm. So once the trauma has healed, there's still a program running that's keeping you in a loop. And... If the brain hasn't perceived there's an imbalance because it's slowly adapted, it won't know that there's something that's not quite right. So the aim of the restorative practice is to help your mind sense very closely into your physical body to understand, well, what is present there? Mm. And that practice in itself is very potent. Then you add in the supported postures on blocks or bolsters or girdy balls to facilitate bringing more free movement to, to different parts of the body. Mm. As opposed to a yin practice that's asking you to stretch more deeply, this is asking you to release deep tension. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me, yeah. Great, and, um, and so when someone comes to a restorative class, what can they expect? They can expect to do a lot of work on the, the ground and with mm -hmm. supports and bolsters, but it's not a practice of collapsing or switching off. They're going to be asked to be very mindful and tuned in to where they're sensing and feeling different um, sensations in the body. Mm -hmm. So the brain is going to be engaged, so it's, it's not a boring practice. Yeah. And they are realizing, oh my gosh, this shoulder is sitting higher than that shoulder and this hip is twisted. And they will be guided into movements that will help them breathe more freely, mm. have a more clear mind. They will be able to feel more integrated and return to their own wholeness. Mm, beautiful, which is the name of this podcast, <laughs> Becoming Whole. <laughs> um, cool. So I want to go um, back a little bit to what we were starting um, talking about in terms of your journey, and then we'll kind of move forwards and go a little bit deeper into, um, you know, uh, how this, this practice is essentially a mind-body connection practice. Um, so, you know, with your story, so you, you know, you, you essentially healed yourself by slowing down and integrating 
these practices into your day to day and removing those things that were the distractions or the busy work and dedicated yourself to these practices and to healing yourself. So you said that the the pain one day you, you realized that the pain wasn't there anymore. So then how did that then lead you to then sharing the practices and teaching? Yeah, that's a really good question. I had so many benefits from the practices and I'd returned to living a life that was balanced and free flowing. And I decided that the practices needed to be shared with everyone Yeah, because they were, they were such healing practices. So I created Ohana Yoga with the vision in mind of sharing that restorative yoga practice more broadly and helping people that were living with chronic pain or chronic illness and people that are trapped in this cycle of the medical world or the cycle of pain, a little bit better, pain again. And I just believe that I could help a lot of people having lived through that myself. Yeah, beautiful. And how long has the studio been open for? We started seven years ago, nearly eight years ago. Great. Wonderful. And um, do you have any specific, you know, examples of people who've come here with either, you know, trauma, like, you know, pain in their body where they've hurt themselves and, you know, how this practice has influenced their lives? Yeah, we have um, so many stories. Mm. I wouldn't really know where to start, but um, I guess... Speaking more broadly, uh, we have quite a few people that come here that have multiple sclerosis. Right. And the MS symptoms dissipate, if not go away, while they're doing the practices. Mm -hmm. So I have three to four women who will share that when they're coming to the practices, their symptoms have gone away. But when they say go on a holiday or take a break for whatever reason, then the symptoms come back. So they then continue regularly because it's helping them to live a normal life. Yeah, right. Wow. And then we have another example is a lady who has, she calls herself a foundational member because she was here from the very beginning. Okay. She's very proud of that. <laughs> and she's had seven years of developing a greater felt sense of embodiment. Mm. And one day we were doing a, a practice that was for releasing the abdominal fascia Mm -hmm. and she thought something's not quite right on this particular side it doesn't feel right Mm. she mentioned it to her friend who who's a nurse and her friend said why don't you just get it checked out she went to get it checked out and she had bowel cancer but she cut it so quickly that they were able to cut out the section that had the cancer and she didn't require radiation or chemotherapy. So they had caught it so early that she didn't require all of those invasive and, you know, questionable treatments. Wow, that's amazing. And would you say, or, you know, did she sort of say that through getting to know her body a lot more and building that connection, then she was able to notice it? Yeah, yeah. she shared that if she hadn't been cultivating that mind-body connection through the practices, she wouldn't have felt it. Because it's Mm. a very subtle feeling once you're getting into those layers. Mm. So there's a few examples of where someone has actually had an illness or disease that's quite extreme and found that through the restorative practices, they 
one, either catch themselves before that pendulum has swung too far, mm-hmm. or two, manage their symptoms. If it's a lifelong illness, they can manage those symptoms so that they can live a full and embodied life. Yeah, amazing. Oh, it just, you know, my heart is just like opening, just hearing these stories because I'm so passionate about this work as well. And, um, you know, like I've definitely noticed through the practices that I've done, yeah, this relationship to my body, like is so much stronger than it's ever been. Um, You know, years ago, Um, when I was working in corporate and I wasn't practicing yoga or maybe I did yoga like once every two weeks or something like that. Um, And I felt like I was a walking head, you know, Mm. so disconnected to my body. And it took some big slaps around the face (laughs) from my body to make me listen. And it seems like it's so common that we have to have something happen physically for us to actually listen rather than actually taking the, um, you know, the measures in our lives now so that we can start to incorporate practices that are really good for our bodies to build that relationship with our bodies, to find that sense of love within so that then we don't get to that position or if something isn't working, then we know and we can do something about it before, you know, it, it gets worse, essentially. Um, so I think, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and no one knows our bodies better than we do. That's right. I do often share with my with the students of restorative yoga that no one else can know what you are sensing or feeling within you. Mm. You're the only one in your body. You're the only one that can sense and feel and, and form a relationship with yourself. Yeah. And so trusting that, well, building that trust, that's a part of the restorative mm. practices is to build up a trust of when I feel or sense this, what does that mean? So I guess you could call it learning the language of your body. Mm. So our bodies don't communicate to us in words like our mind does. Yeah, right. And so that's the trick is that we're, we're taught words, right? Mm, yes. So now we have, we have this body, this vehicle that we're living in that has a completely different language. Yeah. But we haven't learned language. That's so true. It's like living in China and only speaking English. Mm. you're living somewhere, not speaking the language, and there's a disconnect. Yeah. So learning the language of your body is an important part of the embodiment practices. Mm. So the language of your body is the felt sensations. Yeah. Your body speaks to you in color, in texture, in temperature, the flush of recognition, mm. the, the aches, the pains, the joys, the felt sensations within give you information. Mm. So if you're not understanding the language of your body, that's often why the body has to completely shut down before the person listens. Mm. Because uh, I believe it's Oprah Winfrey that has shared that we're always getting signals. They're little pebbles, perhaps. If we don't listen to the little pebbles, we get the brick. Yeah. If we don't listen to the brick, we get the Mack truck. Mm. So, and if you're strong-willed, you might need a few Mack trucks. Yeah. I certainly did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 I know. I know what you mean. Like, yeah, when you're living so much in your head and you're doing, and it's, it's all coming from a good place because you're excited about life and you're wanting to pack it full. And that's what we've been taught is the good way to live your life. Mm. But then it, and you're so disconnected from the body, then it does take quite a lot to come through for you actually to 
start to listen. Um, I know that's happened to me as well and a lot of the clients that I work with as well, mm-hmm. you know, same sort of situation. And it takes time to also reverse that. If it's okay. if it's become um, something that, you know, that's the way that you've lived your life for however many years, you can't just switch that off straight away. No, it takes time. And that's, mm. that's where I share with people that if, if you think, okay, just as a physical practice, your nervous system is a system, just mm. like your digestive system, your metabolic system, it's a system. And so too is your fascial system, which is your connective tissues. Mm. So to change a program in the nervous system or the fascial system, it can take between six months and even up to 24 months. So that's on a physical plane. So I often share with people that have chronic pain, stay with what's helping you feel better rather than discarding something because you feel like you're not getting there quick enough. Mm. Because for the system to change its wiring, it requires time. So now you add to that the physical body in itself has systems that require time. Add to that that the person is driven from their mind or their will with the need to push and strive and do mm. and not having an awareness of how to be, yeah. then you can amplify the healing time by who knows how many years. Mm. Yeah. So as people learn, as, as they want to learn how to live a more balanced life, I feel the restorative practices are an entry in to understanding a different way of being with yourself. Mm. And through that different way of being with yourself, that does change everything else in your life. It changes the relationships you have with the people in your your family or your community or even your workplace. It changes how you view the life, your life, how you look at the world. And I really feel like it helps to bring a greater sense of universal connection. Yeah. So that you feel fully connected to yourself, fully connected to others, and then you're fully connected to the planet we live on and, and to the, the greater universe. And when you have those connections, and my experience is I live with more flow. I feel mm-hmm. supported. I have trust. I don't worry about things. I don't have anxiety about what's next. I feel supported by all of those layers, by myself, by my community and family, by the planet and by the universe. So therefore I can do anything Mm. and I don't have the fear, the worry, the anxiety that's going to hold me back. But not living fully embodied means you're also not fully connected to those around you. It means you're not fully connected to the planet and to the greater universe, which whether you want to call it God or universal love or universal life force or cosmic connection, whatever you want to call it, when you're connected to that, I've found that there's a sense of trust that no matter what happens, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Thank you so much for sharing that because you, you know, explained it so beautifully. Um, and I haven't had, I don't think I've ever heard anyone explain that, but I've had a felt experience of that too, mm. whereby the more I got to 
find a completeness within self and connected and you know it's, it continues um but you know as I have continued to connect different parts of myself and you know there's the other aspects you know the shadow self all of you know these things integrating a lot more um yeah I felt so much more connected to other people uh when I teach I can feel a lot more in the class um and I can feel the trees. <laughs> I can feel Ooh. the energy yeah. of everything around me. Um, there's a sensitivity um, and a sense of awareness. And, yeah, and a sense of responsibility as a person in this earth and to care for the earth as well. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah that all comes together. So yeah. it does have to start with, with us coming yeah. into our own wholeness. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And this is one of the reasons why I'm really passionate about this stuff because, you know, if we look around the world in terms of what we're doing to the planet and, you know, um, arguments and wars and all of that, you know, if we come back to self and we care for self and we come from the inside out, then that is then reflected on the outside. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Hmm. Um Beautiful. So um, if someone's kind of like, ah, oh, so what is this mind-body connection? And, you know, what's something that I can do today to start to build this relationship? What would you recommend? Okay, well, let's consider that to be fully embodied, you need to be able to sense and feel what is happening within at all levels. So the, the brain, the physical body, the earth want to have a connection. And there's a lot of information out there that might get confusing for people. Um, I suppose I look at it really simply. When we connect to the earth consciously, yeah. walk barefoot on the earth, look up at the sky, one of my students just the other day shared that he was going for a job interview and he had been out of work for three years due to chronic fatigue. So the restorative practices helped him move out of chronic fatigue and have enough energy that he's now back in the uh, interview stages for a job. Oh, so that's amazing. But mm. what was more amazing was when he shared that he, he was so nervous that his heart was racing and his body was literally going into sh shaking mm. because of the nervousness around, am I going to be okay? He looked out the window up to the sky and took in the clouds and this air and he took a deep breath that he remembered from his practices of restorative yoga and his jittery body went to stillness his breath deepened, his heart rate slowed. And as he walked in to have the interview, he said it went really well. Oh, good. So I think in sim simple terms, remembering that we're connected to something greater than mm -hmm. ourselves. And the Hawaiians will, will share story and have Hawaiian chants and hula even to share that there is healing in the wind, in the trees, in the stars, in the oceans, in the earth. And that we only have to remember it. So I think that's a key. Mm -hmm. It's in us. Yeah. We just have to remember. Mm -hmm. And when we're in 
a connection to the the earth through simple things. Like I said, taking in a breath of fresh air, looking up to the trees, taking in the sky, standing in the ocean. Yeah. All of those um, connections to nature, I feel, bring a person back to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great. Because that's the thing, isn't it? You know, these days so many of us are living in cities and, you know, if we're living in apartment blocks and this type of thing, it can be difficult to find the nature around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes it can be difficult to put aside the time, you know, to actually get out and about. And, um, you know, if we go from office to home or maybe we go and get on a treadmill you know, we're still not getting that, even though we're moving our body, mm-hmm. we're still not really connecting. I mean, you know, I work in a studio in the city and um, a yoga studio and next door is F45. Now, nothing against F45, but um, it's interesting because if you're going from, you know, a yang busy state in your full-on job and you start the day with this, like, the same thing, you know, and then um, maybe you then go to the pub after work. Or, um, you know, you go straight home and sit on the couch and then, you know, weeks go by without actually looking at the sky. I've been there (laughs) without seeing anything green. Um, Then it does actually make sense that we would start to feel disconnected because we're actually meant to be around the earth, not in uh, cubicles all of the time and, you know... um, Uh, around so much concrete yeah well if you come back to that we are made up of 70 percent fluids yeah so too is mother earth Mm. so when we're in resonance with our own self and our own fluidity we're in resonance with the earth and her fluidity Mm. so connecting back to the natural world is really vital and that's part of why i run yoga retreats in hawaii Mm. because someone has taken you're right, they're probably living a schedule. In fact, one lady that came on a retreat said to me, and I was so shocked because I think I take it for granted that people connect to nature until you hear that a person hasn't looked at a tree for they don't know how many years. And I'm always so surprised and feeling like, wow, that's how does someone miss out on the trees or the air or the ocean? Um, But it happens. Yeah. And and for many reasons. Um, Mm. But I think at the end of the day, if if there's a message out there to help people, it's connect back to nature. Yeah. Yep. And when someone comes on a yoga retreat, they've dedicated that time. So it's like a gift of time. They've dedicated mm. that week. And my job is to remind them of what they already know. Yeah. And so I'm simply taking them out of their comfort zones, getting mm. them into adventures and yoga and nature and reminding them of joy, of connection, of spirit, of magic really mm. we, we need more magic in our lives it's here it's yeah. around us mm. so it's just remembering just that's remembering all. yeah yeah it's so true and that's the thing with you know a lot of this work like yeah what you're saying is it's a sense of remembering because when you have that felt experience or someone you know it says a quote or something like that it's there for me anyway when I've had this experience it's like of course you know, I knew that already. Yeah. I just, I don't know, somehow you just forgot. forgot. <laughs> well, what happens is, is we, we can lose parts of ourselves mm-hmm. as we move so quickly through the world. Yeah. So really the embodiment is coming back to those forgotten parts of yourself. 
and gathering all the parts so that you can live as a whole. Yeah, yeah, lovely, lovely. And um, Hawaii, so what's your connection to Hawaii? I call Hawaii my spiritual home. I started traveling to Hawaii when I was 20. Yep. And I had moved to California. Um, I, I grew up in Nebraska in the Midwest right. with cornfields and no ocean. Oh. I know. Wow. I know. That's so interesting. <laughs> so just a little bit of background. Um, uh, when I met Gina a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, um, on an embodiment um, workshop that she was running, um, just as soon as I met Gina, I was like, I think that she was a mermaid. She was from the sea in another life or something. She just, you know, she's got this beautiful blonde hair and she wears blue all of the time and she loves the ocean and the ocean creatures and um, just such a beautiful thing. So to say that you weren't anywhere near the ocean is like amazing. I know. <laughs> Incredible. I know. I sometimes wonder yeah. why was I born in that place yeah. that was filled with cornfields yeah. and tornadoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when I was 20, I had the ocean called me. I moved yeah. to California and I immersed myself not only in the ocean, but in the sport of outrigger canoe paddling, which is, it, it's a Hawaiian sport, but it's actually greater than that because it's um, a Polynesian sport that's in Micronesia and Melanesia and Polynesia. And the ancient cultures would travel in these canoes and discover lands. Mm-hmm. And they would also use the canoes for transport and commerce of, of foods and crafts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a racing sport and it's exciting. It's racing in the open ocean and paddling anywhere from 15 kilometers to 70 kilometers. Wow. Yeah. So it's a very demanding sport. Yeah. Clearly I liked things that were demanding, firefighting and outrigger canoe paddling. <laughs> and so in California, my girlfriend who, she was a phenomenal, she is a phenomenal woman, but back then she was an Olympic kayak paddler for the U.S. She was also a firefighter. And I felt like I was meeting my hero. I said, I'm trying to become a firefighter. I couldn't pass the physical test because I'm a fairly small person, but strong. But I had to work really hard to to pass these physical tests to get in. And she'd already done that. So she was my hero. Uh And she said to me, Gina, why don't you come and do this race in Hawaii? And I said, Kathy, I don't think I can afford it. (laughs) And she's like, sure you can. And that's all it took. I went, okay. So... Instead of paying the bank the money I needed to pay them for my car payment, I bought a ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> and now I'm in Hawaii, and I raced the Outrigger Canoes and had such a phenomenal experience. As soon as I arrived on the island, the smell of the beautiful flowers and the balmy air, it felt like home. I felt right. like I was home. Yeah. And I met some locals that took me cliff jumping and, you know, death-defying experiences. Um, we also stood and looked at lava flowing into the ocean. Didn't worry about signs that said, don't stand here. <laughs> and I still have those photos from 1989, my first trip to Hawaii. And I've been going there nearly every year since and running yoga retreats for the last 12 years on the big island of Hawaii. Mm, amazing, amazing. So obviously there's this real connection. That you yeah. have with the land? Yeah, so the, the experience in Hawaii um, really helped me find out who I am. Mm. The energy of the land where the lava is regularly pouring out into the ocean. Madame Pele is the volcano goddess, and she's in charge. She creates and she destroys. Mm-hmm. And the energy, the potency is felt. Oh, right. And that's why I run the retreats on the Big Island, because you very quickly get to the nuts and bolts of who and what you are. 
the Hawaiians would call it to become pa'a. And to become pa'a means to be solid, to know who you are, what you are, and what you're here for. Oh, wow. And that was not clear to me until I had my time on the islands. And essentially, the, the threads of your reality get stripped away very quickly. And who and what you are comes to the forefront. Right, more so than other places in the world. Yeah, do you, yeah. Do you know about the ley lines of the world? I've heard of them. But so yeah, there's energetic. There's an energetic mm. grid of the planet, and the four major ley lines are very potent in their energy. And the Big Island of Hawaii is on one. It's it's one of the major grid right. on the major grid. Ah, okay. So you've got Machu Picchu, the pyramids, the Big Island, and I always forget the fourth one. Yeah, is it Stonehenge? Yes. Or is it Bali? Is Bali? No, I think it's a Stonehenge. No? Okay, yeah. right. So those yeah. are four very potent energy locations. Mm. And so the Big Island is, you feel the energy. You can go, I, I've been to tropical locations elsewhere. Yeah. I've been to the Caribbean. I've been to Numea, French Polynesia, um, Fiji. They're all stunning. Yeah. But the feeling, mm. the currents of the energy are not the same. They don't have the same potency. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think for me, the Big Island particularly just doses you with amazing energy. And and it helped me understand who I am and what I am and Mm. what I'm here for. Mm. And so that's part of why I take people to the Big Island is to help those on their own journey of discovering Mm. what am I here for. Yeah. And I do believe that people come when they're ready. So most people don't come on a retreat with the idea in mind of I'm going to discover who I am and what I'm here for. They come with, I need a break. And so then that's the gift because you, you get to the retreat and I take them on the journey. And at the end of the retreat, it's life changing. It really is. And it was life changing for me. And again, that's why I share that. Yeah. Yeah, great. So, you know, in terms of what you do on a day-to-day basis, it's essentially taking your own personal journey. You know, this is the hero's journey, yeah? Hmm. Um, You know, your own personal challenges, you go on that journey, and then you get to a point where you've kind of come through and you've learnt various things through that journey, and then you're ready to share and share with others from that place. Yeah, Hmm. I do feel like um, it's part of why I'm here is to share yeah yeah brilliant so good so what to you is wholeness wholeness is is exactly what i just shared i Mm -hmm. for me wholeness is knowing who you are what you are what you're here for and embodying that yeah having an integration from your internal world to your external world when you're fully embodied you can stand present in your own self, no matter where you are in the world and no matter what you're doing. And your internal world is congruent with your external world. Yeah. There was periods of time in my life where, where that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. I, I married um, young. I was 24 when I married my, my now ex-husband, who's Australian. And that's that's how I came to Australia. Yeah. So, um, I'd married an Australian 
who didn't like living in California because of floods, earthquakes, um, riots, and guns, <laughs> all fair reasons. <laughs> I did think when I moved to Australia that I was moving to somewhere where it was going to be beaches and sunshine and warmth. So clearly I landed in the wrong state being in Victoria instead yeah, of Queensland. Yeah, it is in some places, but not the whole Australia. <laughs> no, no. So, so when I was married, um, it wasn't a healthy relationship in that, there wasn't a balance of power Mm -hmm. and I felt diminished and I lived for a long time allowing that. Right. And yoga, my yoga practice, which began in a Hatha yoga studio, my teacher was Jilda Lidikit from Geelong and she was one of the first teachers trained in the Satyananda method of yoga in Australia. Mm -hmm. And so I had a four-year apprenticeship with her as part of my my study. So I have a very deep foundation in yoga that merged from a Hatha base into restorative and the Feldenkrais method and these more somatic experiences. But I feel blessed because the the deeper traditions of the Hatha yoga were all of the methods of the meditation, the eight limbs of yoga, the philosophies, the asana, all of that weaved together helped me understand that I wasn't honoring who I am. I was trying to fit into someone else's world and I didn't fit into his world. And I was diminishing my own spirit, my own soul by staying in that relationship. And my ex-husband is an amazing person, but he wasn't the person I needed to be with to flourish. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet that was a journey in itself. And you know, was it quite a difficult um, decision as well? It was an enormously difficult mm-hmm. decision. Probably one, of, well, definitely one of the hardest decisions I've ever made, mm-hmm. because it wasn't that I didn't love him or respect him, but I couldn't live in the way he wanted me to live. Yeah, and I needed to honor me. So my vow at the end of that difficult time was to not allow a relationship or anything to. Mm-hmm. To not allow those things to, uh, to cause me to sacrifice who I am to fit in or be a part of those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to have gained the knowledge and the courage and the confidence to go through that process of ending my marriage, living here without family support, mm. and living here in his life for all the years I'd been in Australia, it was enormous. And it did. It took all of those things. It took courage. It took confidence. It took knowing why I was doing what I was doing because it was so painful, it would have been easier to not do it. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that the the practices of what you were learning through your yoga journey gave you those things or helped you to, not gave you them, them but helped you to harness them? They're already in you, but helped mm. you to kind of bring them forth so you were able to make that decision? Yeah, if I didn't have yoga in my life, I wouldn't have been able to come to the understanding that I wasn't living my life. I wouldn't have been able to develop the courage and the confidence to make life-changing decisions. So that was actually, if we want to backtrack, that was how I started teaching yoga is that I realized that without those practices, uh, I wouldn't have the ability to live to my soul's and my spirit's life. And so it felt to me that that needed to be shared because I was so grateful that I had those practices And even having those practices, it was a very difficult time. Because often when you think, okay, if I can 
end this relationship or end this career or whatever it is, you think as soon as that's gone, you'll be fine. Mm. But the reality is, is those, those big changes prompt you, well, you just have to look at yourself. Yeah. And so in then looking at yourself, why did I stay in this situation? How did I get into this situation? Why did it take me so long to get out? That prompts a lot of questions, which is all the self-looking. And it's the self-looking that allows you to heal. So, yeah, it was very, very difficult. But um, my yoga practice that had been, by that stage, it was probably an eight- or ten-year journey Mm -hmm. of yoga. Yeah. Yeah, that's big. That's big. Were were you practicing really regularly? I was, yeah. I was practicing nearly daily. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would do my practices at the studio uh, with a group, but I had my home practice as well. Yeah. Yeah, I have one um, other question before we come into this beautiful meditation that you're going to take everyone through. Um, and that is, and this is my own personal journey, and I suppose I've never really asked this question before, so it'd be really interesting to hear what you have to say. So, um, you know, on my journey, um, you know, as I would stay in poses for long periods of time and I'd just breathe and just be, I literally was able to connect my breath to the sensations and then just feel I could physically feel the fascia I, I could feel it and then images from the past would come through like something someone said something I had said a situation that had played out but like deep you know mm. deep memories from the past and um you know they weren't necessarily really great things <laughs> you know mm. it was essentially almost like self-reflection but I wasn't prompting it it was just naturally coming through Mm. and but it wasn't in this critical way Mm. it was different to the critical mind Mm. is that my body speaking to me is that the subconscious coming through it is it's both of those so so we carry within our cells yeah what are called some scars they're mental and emotional imprints Now, these mental and emotional imprints can be from our ancestors. We're born with these things. We think that we have enough to deal with in our life with just our own stuff, but we also have our ancestral stuff. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So so we have these imprints, these samskaras, which is most likely where the term scar came from. Ah. So the imprints are within us. They're in our tissues, in our cells. So when we start to connect the mind, the breath, which is the prana Mm -hmm. to the physical body, the samskaras, the imprints can come up and be released, which is why restorative yoga or the practices of somatic movement are so helpful for people that are dealing with trauma. Mm -hmm. And we often think of trauma as someone that has witnessed something really tragic or someone that has been, you know, imprisoned or or raped or beaten up, Mm -hmm. but trauma can be watching an animal hit by a car. Mm -hmm. It can be not feeling valued, not feeling seen or heard when you're young. It can, it, I believe that most of our world is living with some form of trauma and that's hard because people don't understand that the trauma can be cleared through these types of practices but the trauma it's an interesting thing because the trauma itself for some people makes their body a hazardous place to be yeah 
So they don't want to be in their bodies because it feels hazardous. Mm. So then they're in their heads. But until they get back into their bodies, they, they don't have the ability to do the healing work. So coming into our bodies with our minds consciously aware of what's happening, of being connected to the breath, to the prana, that helps us to open up those wounds, those scars, so that they can be cleared. And like you said, not done through the judgmental mind, but witnessed through the witness perspective. Yeah, for sure. Um, From this, yeah, non-judgmental, almost compassionate place. But it... That was my experience yeah. anyway. And so it was, it was almost kindly delivered to me, yeah. <laughs> which was really, uh, you know, it was really nice. And so what that enabled me to do was then to actually then come into this place of self-reflection and then start to look at how I could change some of the ways of being and things like this to start to change some of those, um, yeah, essentially those samskaras, those you know, ways of being that were the patterns that were continuing to repeat. Mm. And it wasn't, you know, and it took a while for me to connect the dots because, you know, I was in a place of constantly looking outside of myself, you know, external world mm. saying, well, that job is a bad job for me. Um, it was this, 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 is this. And then changing jobs and then finding that the same things were popping up again. Yeah. And then eventually it was like, oh, what's the common denominator? <laughs> oh, it's me. Right? <laughs> Time to look yeah. within, you know. And um, so, you know, I'm so grateful for those experiences because, yeah, it helped me to kind of resolve. And it still continues. Um, resolve some of those things. Um, and the other thing that these types of practices have helped me with is to build a greater relationship with my intuition. Yeah. Is that is that kind of a common thing that you find um, in your own, you know, in your own life, but also from other people who have been practicing? Yes, it's again coming back to that full embodiment. Mm-hmm. So we have all these parts to ourselves that are pretty magical, including our intuition our instincts, our gut knowledge, our information that is wisdom and and a guide from within. Mm. But if we're not within, it's hard to hear and follow the guide. So the idea of the, the practice I share often is for people to witness. Yeah. Just witness. It doesn't mean that your habits are going to change, particularly not for a period of time. But the more you witness, the more you can see what the patterns are. And if you start to see what the patterns are, then you can do something about them. If you don't know what the patterns are, like you said, you can get caught in the trap of, oh, it's this person at this job or it's this relationship and everything's about what everyone else is doing. But when we actually do pause and reflect, the common denominator is us. Like we're moving through the world in a certain way. And attracting certain things by where we're in, in our vibrational level, and how we're operating in the world. So we're attracting, we're attracting what we experience into our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we want to attract something different, guess where we have to look? Yeah. Back to ourselves. Totally. And kind of coming to that place also of like uh, self-responsibility too. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I think, you know, back, um, you know, years ago, I was very easy to play the victim, very easy to blame everyone else for everything. And it wasn't until I really started to look within and then start to take responsibility for my life that things started to change. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Like my friend, my very wise friend, Emma says, is that if you're being the victim, no one wants to come to a pity party. Yeah. 
So if we can overcome the idea that we're the victim of life and instead realize that, that our life is and the things in our life are there because of a certain way we're being or thinking or feeling, then we can address that. But that's, that's self-empowering yeah. because now you know you, you can actually dictate what your life looks like and feels like. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's beautiful. Well, oh my gosh, this was such a juicy conversation. So I know that um, you have a lovely meditation um, for everyone. So if you're listening to this and you're um, you're in a position where you can, you know, find a comfortable seat and um, close down your eyes and, you know, take a few deep breaths and just allow yourself to really settle into the space, Gina is going to take you through a beautiful meditation, even if you want to just stop the recording and, you know, give yourself that time to just really set yourself up to create some time, some space and some quiet. Over to you, Gina. I'd like to begin by just saying welcome home. Welcome home to your body. As you say welcome home to yourself, Notice how that feels within you. And imagine living each day with an acute awareness of every breath and movement within, connected to your deep center, to your place of balance and steadiness within. Life's challenges always present, but now you are responding to them from a place of peace and not reacting habitually. The voice within you that had been easily ignored as a whisper is now a clear voice guiding you each step of the way with an urgency that cannot be ignored. This is full embodiment, being acutely aware of the whole of you and responding to all the messages from within. So to begin this practice, Say to yourself one more time, welcome home. And now visualize your body as a field of radiant energy, which extends in all directions beyond any boundary that your mind can imagine. Now, set an intention during this practice to focus on sensation rather than thinking. Begin to feel the universal life force that is enlivening every atom, molecule, and cell of your body. Welcome in feelings of peace, groundedness, wholeness, and well-being. Next, bring your attention to your right hand only. Notice any sensations that are present. Let go of thinking about your hand as thinking keeps you in your head. Sensing brings you into the actual sensations that are present. Notice and welcome any sensations of heaviness, of lightness, of warmth, of tingling, whatever is present. Can you sense how your hand is actually a field of sensation? If so, how far does this field extend? 
Keep feeling your hand as sensation without going into judging or thinking. Now go to your left hand and notice, as well as welcome, any sensations in this left hand. Again, can you sense how your hand is a field of radiant sensation? If so, how far out does this field extend? Now feel both hands together. Feel the sensations of both hands. Refrain from thinking or commenting about the sensation. Keep feeling your two hands as radiant sensation. Now move your awareness to your face. Again, stay with the felt sensation as much as possible. Feel your eyes, both eyes together. Notice your ears, your outer ear, your inner ear, and notice your ears listening to my voice. Notice your jaw, your brow, your cheeks, your nose. Feel your whole face and head, noticing sensations that are present. Observe your hair follicles. Can you feel them tingling as your awareness rises up to meet them? Now, move your awareness to your shoulders, your arms, your hands, as well as your fingers. As you soften the webbing in between your fingers, does that change anything? Move your awareness to your chest and to your abdomen. How is the chest and abdomen moving with breath? And are there any sensations in this upper torso? Your awareness moves to your back body, to your upper back, your middle back, your lower back. What sensations are present at your back body? And how is this area breathing? Now feel the front and back body together, noticing the expansion and condensing, condensing, expanding and condensing of the body with breath. Next, your awareness moves to your pelvis, your buttocks, and your legs, as well as your feet and your toes. What sensations are present in this lower area of your body? And as you let go of tension in your toes and your feet, how does that affect the rest of your body? And finally, open up your awareness to the entirety of your body. What are the sensations present at this moment? How is the body breathing? 
can you feel the arising, expanding inhalation, the condensing, contracting exhalation? And welcome your entire body as a radiant field of sensations. Invite the feelings of groundedness, peace, and well-being into all of you. And take a moment to offer gratitude for the opportunity to enhance your health and your vitality through a practice of sensing and feeling. A practice that can lead you back to wholeness. Welcome in the feeling of coming home. Look down or feel down your body and whisper to yourself, there is no home like you. There is no home like you. There is no home like you. Welcome home. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Gina. Thank you for that lovely meditation and an absolutely beautiful chat. Um, if you, if people would like to know more about you and where to find you um, at your studio, where should they go? Um, they should go to my website, ohanayoga.com.au. And we are located in Port Melbourne. We have regular practices of restorative yoga, the Feldenkrais Method, yin yoga as well as tibetan singing bowl yoga nidra which is a real treat oh wow that sounds beautiful have to come along to that yes <laughs> great well thank you so much for your time your wisdom and um you know for your beautiful offerings um to the community thank you claire <laughs> thanks and that's the end of another episode i do hope you enjoyed it and gained some new insights you can find more info about the show and my guests by visiting my website, claire-bradshaw.com, or subscribe to iTunes to ensure you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, please give it a rating on iTunes, as this makes a huge difference in sharing the podcast and its content with more people. My dream is to create a happier, healthier, more wholesome world, and I truly believe that it starts with ourselves. So thank you for listening, and have a beautiful day.